Don't say ho-hum. This is the book of Nahum. I know, it's nap time for some of you. I'll be brief. Yeah, that's what the last guy said, huh? All right, today we're coming to the last chapter of the Minor Prophet of Nahum, chapter 3. And uh, so, about the fastest I've ever finished up a book is in three messages. <laughs> but uh, it's a short book, and then we'll get to Habakkuk next. And, uh, but uh, let's finish up Nahum. Remember that its focus is on the holy character of God, who cannot allow sin to go unpunished. Uh, chapter 1, Nahum declares Nineveh's fall. Chapter 2, he describes Nineveh's fall. And chapter 3, he defends Nineveh's fall. In other words, he doesn't defend Nineveh, but he defends why God would punish them. And so as we come to chapter 3, you'll find here a description of ancient warfare that's unrivaled. Nahum said Nineveh would face a horrible punishment because they killed people. And they were a bloody city. They were guilty of telling lies. And they robbed people and they took things that were not theirs. So as we look here at Nahum... Uh, chapter 3, we're going to see the attack would be marked with cracking whips, with churning wheels, with galloping horses, noisy chariots, and an army attacking with flashing swords and spears. And so many soldiers would be killed in Nineveh's day that they would stumble over the piles of dead bodies. Nineveh was condemned for their evil practices of spiritual whoredom and witchcraft. And we know that God was against Nineveh. He said that. And uh, he said, I am against you. And people were going to see how evil they were. They would face a scornful end. God, in his, this brief book of Nahum, gives a very vivid description of the overthrow of the city of Nineveh. Remember, Nineveh is the city that Jonah was to go to and tell them to repent. And when he finally got there, after his own problems, and he gave the message that God said to give them, they repented, the whole city. But then in 100 or 150 years or so, they were as wicked as ever. It says in chapter 1, verse 8, he said that with overrunning flood, he was going to make an utter end of the place. Uh, and while they were drunken as drunkards, they would, should be devoured as stubble fully dry. I don't know if you've ever seen a stubble fire. Uh, we have them back in Kansas when the wheat stubble gets burned. And uh, they were going to be devoured, just wiped out. They would have no protection because the gates of the land would be set wide open unto the enemies. The fire would devour their, thy bars, the bars that held the gates closed. Chapter 3, verse 13. Nineveh would never recover. It says in verse 19, there is no healing of thy bruise. And the city would be 
taken with ease, like shaking ripe figs into the mouth of the eater. Verse 12. Now, Nineveh would have many, many soldiers, but that wouldn't, uh, uh, would, would avail to nothing. And they would be fatally wounded. There was no hope for them. And when others heard the news of Nineveh's downfall, they would cheer because of the constant cruelty in all the ways that Nineveh had caused pain for others. Nineveh had been so wicked and so brutal in their treatment of others, their enemies, that often their enemies would rather commit suicide than suffer at the, the hands of the Ninevites. So we want to look briefly this afternoon. I won't keep you long. We want to look briefly at four areas of Nineveh's problem and notice two lessons that we can take from this study of Nahum. First of all, Nineveh's terrible ungodliness. Let's look at verse 1 through 7. Woe to the bloody city. It is all full of lives, lies and robbery. They pray de the prey departeth not. The noise of a whip, the noise of the rattling of the wheels and of the prancing horses and of the jumping chariots. The horseman lifteth up both the bright sword and the glittering spear. And there is a multitude of slain and a great number of carcasses and there is none end of their corpses. They stumble upon their corpses. And because the multitude of the whoredoms and the well-favored harlot, the mistress of witchcrafts that selleth nations through her whoredoms and families through her witchcrafts, behold, I am against thee, saith the Lord of hosts. And I will discover thy skirts upon thy face and will show the nations thy nakedness and the kingdoms thy shame. And I will cast abominable filth upon thee and make thee vile and will set thee as a gazing stock." And it shall come to pass that all they that look upon thee shall flee from thee and say, Nineveh is laid waste. Who will bemoan her? Whence shall I seek comforters for thee? Now, Nineveh was the capital of crime and evil. It was a city of murder and treachery. It was doomed because of its wickedness. Their practice of preying upon the helpless and the weak just didn't, didn't cease. It just kept going on and on. It's a bloody city, as it says there, and showed no mercy. God described the woe that would come upon this wicked city. There would be a strong and decisive military attack against their enemies. It would involve the cracking of whips, the churning of wheels, the galloping of horses, the roaring of chariots. The soldiers would attack with swords and spears flashing and the battle would be so decisive that the soldiers would stumble over the piles of dead bodies of their fellow soldiers. So God sets forth the reasons why this awful fate had befallen Nineveh. Number one, they had practiced whoredom. And the word used here is in the spiritual sense to describe the abominable, abominable evils of idolatry. When people began to worship idols... Rather than God, they have committed whoredom. And they use witchcraft, is the second reason, to defraud the nations of their possessions. You see, an all-powerful God was against Nineveh. He says, Behold, I am against thee. She would be exposed to the gaze of the world. 
they would easily be able to observe this corruption. Nineveh would become a gazing stock, as it says there in verse 6. Her true, vile, spiritual condition would be fully known. God had said she is empty and void and waste and heart melteth and knees smite together and much pain is in all loins and the faces of them all gather blackness. Back in chapter 2, verse 10. And those who see what happened to Nineveh would shout with joy. There would be uh, none willing to mourn or give her comfort. They had been so wicked. Then secondly, Nineveh is compared to others. Let's go to verse 8. Art thou better than populous No, that was situate among the rivers, and then the waters round about, whose rampart was the sea, and her wall was from the sea? Ethiopia and Egypt were her strength, and it was infinite. Put and Lubin were thy helpers, Yet was it she carried away, she went into captivity. Her young children are also dashed in pieces at the top of all streets. They cast lots for her honorable men, and all her great men were bound in chains. Thou also shalt be drunken, thou shalt be hid, thou also shalt seek strength because of the enemy. The first thing he asks there is, Art thou better than the populace? No. You say, populist, no, what's that mean? Well, no, or no Amun, uh, or another name for the city of Thebes. Thebes was a very notable city in Egypt. The Nile River had, was its wall of defense, and if no, which uh, was overthrown, if no could be overthrown, then Nineveh should not feel comfortable in resisting their invaders. No, or Thebes, had many resources, and yet they were overcome by Assyria. The Assyrians had attacked this city at one time and destroyed them. Now, this city of No, or Thebes, had a very large population, but that didn't help them. She trusted the mighty power of Ethiopia and Egypt, the nations of Put and Libya uh, were her allies. No did not lack support, but she was still overthrown. The city of No, or Thebes, was a great city, yet she was humiliated and carried away. She was captured and taken to a foreign country. Her people were murdered in the street corners. The members of her royal family were sold at an auction. Her great men or high court officials were bound in chains. And just as cer certainly as the city of No was overthrown, Nineveh is going to face the same destruction and ruin. Nineveh had destroyed the city of No. And they saw what they did. They remembered what they did. And they should have remembered when they receive the same judgment upon themselves. Nineveh would get drunk, try to hide from her enemy. She'd seek help, but there would be no help. All of these efforts were in vain. So that brings us to Nineveh's strongholds. Nineveh's strongholds were weak, verse 12. 
All thy strongholds shall be like fig trees with the first ripe figs. If they be shaken, they shall even fall into the mouth of the eater. Behold, thy people in the midst of thee are women. The gates of thy land shall be set wide open unto thine enemies. The fire shall devour thy bars. Draw thee waters for the siege. Fortify thy strongholds. Go into the clay and tread the mortar. Make strong the brick kiln. There shall be a fire devour thee, and the sword shall cut thee off, and it shall eat thee up like the canker worm. Make thyself many as the canker worm. Make thyself many as the locusts. So here we have the invading army that would take Nineveh with the greatest of ease. God said, all thy strongholds are like fig trees with the first ripe figs. They shall be shaken. They shall fall into the mouth of the eater. The fortified places of this city would fall easily into the hands of the invading army. Their army would be no stronger than it was if a group of women, now, don't get offended, women, but uh, I believe the men were supposed to do the fighting. All right? And I may be something to think about even today. But uh, uh, that's what God's word says. And uh, as a result, their army was weak. Uh, the gates of the land would be thrown wide open to the enemies. The fire of the enemy would devour the bars or the fasteners on the gates. And so God told Nineveh that she would need all the preparation she could make for this battle. Because Nineveh, Nineveh was going to be under attack. They were to draw water, fortify their strongholds, start making bricks. But in spite of the preparation that was made for this battle, the fire would devour them, the sword would be cut off, and the people would themselves uh, were as numerous as a swarm of locusts, and yet they would be destroyed. Nineveh's strongholds were weak. And that brings us to their leaders. Nineveh's leaders were weak. Verse 16. Thou hast multiplied thy merchants above the stars of heaven. The canker worm spoileth and fleeth away. Thy crowned are as the locusts, and thy captains as great grasshoppers, which camp in the hedges in the cold day. But when the sun ariseth, they flee away, and their place is not known where they are. Thy shepherds slumber, O king of Assyria. Thy nobles shall dwell in the dust. Thy people is scattered upon the mountains, and no man gathereth them. There is no healing of thy bruise. Thy wound is grievous. All that hear the uh, brute of thee shall clap the hands over thee, for upon them hath thy wickedness passed continually. Now you notice here, uh, is talking about Nineveh's leaders. Uh, these verses are describing the utter defeat of Nineveh, the capital of Assyria. There's neither the possibility that this nation could be spared or re restored. Destruction was certain. Nineveh was strong from the standpoint of business and political interest. Talks about their merchants. Their merchants in the city were more than the stars in the sky. The invading army would be like locusts to eat everything and then fly away. It uh, talks about Nineveh's army officers would flee from the fight. Your guards and your officials, 
basically he's saying they're like a swarm of locusts and on a chilly day they'll settle on a fence and when the sun comes out they'll take off to who knows where. And so you have here a number of leaders mentioned, the merchants, the crowned, the captains, the shepherds, and they're all weak. And then the subject of the last verses of Nahum remains the same, the utter destruction of Nineveh. There's no possibility of restoration. It's too late for Assyria. Her officials and leaders sleep the eternal sleep. The people will be scattered in the mountains as sheep without a shepherd. Nineveh, the Assyrian capital, the most powerful city, would suffer a wound that would never heal. Nineveh would be punished for her inhumane treatment of Israel. The Assyrian Empire never recovered from this defeat. Nineveh would uh, hurt a, a little while and then fall. And they were reaping what they had sown. Nineveh fell in 612 BC. Assyria collapsed in a few later, years later in 608. And the entire world at that time had suffered under the yoke of Assyria. And so the world is rejoicing that Assyria is destroyed. That brings us really to the two lessons that I think we should look at here. The first lesson is that of sowing and reaping. You see, the same taunts that the Assyrians used were now coming back to them. The same judgment they brought on other nations they conquered, leading to captivity, to plunder, destruction, would now come unto them. Matthew 7, 1 and 2 says, Judge not that ye be not judged, for with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged, and with what measure ye mete out, it shall be measured to you again. And we see this replayed in so many lives over and over. It not only applies to nations, but to individuals. You see, the way you treat others is going to come back to you. If you're harsh, you're critical, you'll find people being harsh and critical of you. You may be surprised that people would be so harsh and critical to such a nice person as yourself. But it will happen. If you listen to the words coming out of your mouth about other people, you listen to your comments, your criticism, your judgments on other people, are they harsh or are they merciful? Are they critical or are they gracious? You know, I think if we're, we would work at being kind and merciful toward others, we would find the same treatment coming our way. Now, that's not an absolute, because there are always some mean people. There's always someone who is going to do something that works over the majority of your life. But here's the principle that I think the overriding principle is the sowing and reaping principle that comes out of this little book of Nahum. Kind of makes you wonder, and again, I think we need to be careful about when we interpret scripture, about assigning meaning for one people to another people in another time. But it kind of makes you wonder about our own nation. 
What's God's judgment going to be upon the United States of America and the way it's treated other people and the way there is a, uh, an atmosphere of lying? Remember the first part, it says, Woe to the bloody city, it is all full of lies and robbery. The prey departeth not. I think some of our big cities in our country, full of murder, bloody on the streets because of the murder. I don't know, but I'm just saying that God judged Nineveh for, for this. What's he possibly going to do with our country? Now there's one other lesson, and that is the hope of judgment. You know, we all know that there's a lot that stinks in this world. That's just the way it is. There's a lot of things that just aren't right. And there are a lot of things that aren't fair. But there is going to be a day when God's going to make things right. For the Jews, they've suffered under the oppression of the Assyrians here. And there would be a day when God would take care of the Assyrians. You see, God will take care of it. Romans chapter 12, verse 17 says, Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of men. If it is possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. I think that's God's answer to what we think is not right, what we think is not fair. Sometimes we say, well, they shouldn't have done that to me. I'm going to get even with them. And yet God says, he's going to take care of that. Sometimes we feel we need to take things into our own hands. We feel that no one is going to look out for us if we don't. You know, that old uh, idea, look out for number one. Well, who is number one in your life? You? Or is God? The truth of God will take care of us. God will handle the vengeance. We, don't, we need to work at peace and doing good. Someone has written something that's very interesting. It goes like this. Cripple him and you'll have Sir Walter Scott. Lock him up in a prison cell and you'll have John Bunyan. Bury him in the snows of Valley Forge and you'll have a George Washington. Raise him to abject, raise him in abject poverty and you'll have Abraham Lincoln. Strike him down with infantile paralysis and he becomes Franklin Roosevelt. Burn him so severely the doctors say he'll never walk again and you'll have a Glenn Cunningham. He set the world's mile, one mile record in 1934. Deafen him and you'll have Ludwig van Beethoven. Have him or her born black in a society filled with racial discrimination. You'll have a Booker T. Washington or a Marian Anderson or a George Washington Carver. Call him a slow learner. Call him retarded and write him off as uneducatable. 
and you'll have an Albert Einstein. Now, I believe if these, I don't believe all of them were saved, I don't know that, but if these could be used to do great things, think of what God could do through us if we would respond and obey his word. Someone has said, life is 20% of what happens to us and 80% in the way we respond to the events. How do we respond? You don't have to respond with evil. God will take care of it, and we need to hope in it. We need to learn that those who serve God are blessed, and those who rebel face certain and severe punishment. And I trust that even this little way, this little book here would teach us these things. There's a principle of sowing and reaping, and there's a principle of hope of judgment. Let's pray. Father in heaven,